This is the Milo Beasley Show. This is the Milo Beasley Show. There's only one thing you need to know. This is the Milo Beasley Show. And now, here's your host, Milo Beasley. And welcome to the Milo Beasley Show, dude, 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 episode number 362. Uh, I'm, I'm so excited for our next guest. I remember um, uh, back in 2005, uh, there was um, this, uh, of course, being an Orlando local, this rush of excitement over this new book series that was coming out uh, called uh, The Kingdom Keepers. And uh, there was like a, a release at the parks and everything. And it was so cool. Uh, and here we are. Uh, in, in 2022, still talking about it, still a new book coming out. So let's go ahead and welcome at this time the the, uh, the author, the creator, uh, Ridley Pearson. How are you doing? I'm going great, my love. Thanks. Thanks for uh, having me. Again, super excited to have you on. I I I literally remember it as if it was uh, yesterday, and the excitement of the the books being released. There was um. There was a, a limited edition pin that you would get, uh, and I was big in pins, so I li- I still have that to this day. Um, I do too. I do. I, I wish I, I saw it in my drawer the other day. Uh, I wish I, I had it. I had uh, Maleficent on it. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, do you remember it like it was yesterday? It does it seem like it was uh, you know several years ago? Oh yeah, things things definitely feel like they're several years ago, but. Um, I've had so much fun doing signings, both at Walt Disney World and Disneyland. And uh, in fact, I go to Disneyland for a signing in a day. I'm going down there on, uh, I'm going to be doing signings in Disneyland on Saturday. Yeah. And and again in February. Oh, great. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I just love them every time I do them. I just have so much fun meeting people who read the books and enjoy them. And, you know, I spend all my time in a little room typing away and, it's fun if five people actually like what I do. So I right. love those events. Yeah, I saw a big Disneyland book fair. Uh, yeah, uh, that's what it is. Yeah. Uh, I saw uh, Leslie Iwerks uh, oh. is going to be there, who is the uh, granddaughter of the legendary Oob Iwerks. Wow. Uh, so, uh, yeah, uh, it's, it looks like a, a very, very cool thing going on. And um, so uh, besides uh kingdom keepers which i want to dive into uh as well you you also is this no okay so this is november so uh just last month right right just last month uh you released uh cautionary tales cautionary tales so what was the uh this is i i i love the uh you know i i just i love the the concept what was the inspiration behind uh this project disney disney came to me an editor uh named lauren berniak at the time now she's been she's a very smart woman and she's been promoted like twice since we did this so now as far as i know she's running the world but um lauren came came to me through my agent and asked if i would be interested in writing a group of short stories based on iconic Disney characters that I could play around with to make a suspenseful or scary story using characters of my choice. I would sign me up, man. And it was going to be a kind of a Halloween book. 
Right. And although I, I think it's a year round book. And um, and so I just jumped right in on that. Yeah, I've, I've had so much fun with that book. Wow. Uh, so is there with with a project like that, um, it seems like it could go on forever. You could uh, pick, you know, many, know. many different characters. So I keep begging her to do it again. <laughs> is, is there a, is there a possibility for cautionary tales too? You know, never say never. I, th I think it would have to sell real well for them to be interested. It's a, it's what they call a specialty book. Um, okay. So they don't think of it as a series. They, they, uh, they put an awful lot of investment in, the the cover and the art abigail larson does all the art in this she's an award-winning illustrator she's just phenomenal um much better than the stories i'm sure but uh they do things like i asked lauren about halfway through the project i asked lauren if i could write a, a another story that tied all of the main stories together so that you could pick it up and you could ra read chapter nine if you wanted to, you know, or you could start at the, at the top and these two characters would lead you through all these short stories. So kind of a hybrid. And, and of course, it ended up a bit of a Rubik's Cube for me to figure out how to do this. But Lauren was terrific and very supportive. And, and we both agreed that if it didn't work, we'd just pull those characters out of all the stories and not worry about it. Right. Um, and it worked. So. Yeah. Uh, it ended up this sort of complex story. And when we got to the two individuals, uh, Tim and Billy, uh, because they they did have this rather large investment in the physical book itself, the pages all turned black. No one told me that was going to happen. And they're so cool. So you, you go along and suddenly you hit these black pages with white type instead of white pages. I mean, just crazy stuff like that. Really fun. That's that's cool. I mean, that's that's so you didn't know that they were going to do that. Though. Oh, I had no idea. No, she just kept telling me, you know, she said these specialty books are fun because the design side gets to play a lot. And they right. sent me some of Abigail Larson's sketches before they were colorized. And I was just mind blown by her talent and 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 the way she saw it. She's so good at at bringing the Disney elements into the illustrations. People have written me about this already and, and said, what I love about the illustrations is it really looks Disney. And, you know, that takes a real skill. Um, Abigail is, is something else. I've never met her, but boy, am I impressed. Uh, and so there are illustrations literally on every page of this book, whether it's stuff in the margins or images, cutaways. Um, she did a ton of work on this thing. And you know, it's an adventure. You jump into this book and you're just, I hope, sucked into this really fun, sometimes spooky adventure. Now, again, you've been super lucky to be able to, to work with Disney. Have you always been a Disney fan growing up? No, no. I came to Disney uh, late in life as an author. My parents wouldn't take us to Disney. Oh, and, wow. um, and when uh, we had, when, my, when Marcel, my wife and I had kids, um, we wanted to take them to Disney World. And at that time, um, I was playing in this all authors rock and roll band with a number of, of best-selling authors, including Dave Barry. And he lives in Miami. And Dave and I had gotten to be friends. And I told Dave we were going down there. And he said, not without me, you aren't. So he and his family joined us because he'd been going for years and years and he could show me all the cool stuff. And, and um, it, it, 
one thing led to another and I was treated like we were treated like rock stars. They gave us a VIP guide and all this stuff. We did not expect any of this. And so I thanked Disney for it. And they said, really, you need to thank Disney books for it. And I got speaking with an editor named Wendy Lefkon. And Wendy eventually said, would you like to write for us? And that led to all these different things. So that's uh, that, there's a whole, there's so much to unpack there. Uh, yeah, yeah. One, in, a, in, a, in the rock and roll band, uh, two hanging out with uh, with Dave Barry. Yeah, uh, I, no, crazy. there's there's so much. Uh, All so, of that has been pinch me moments for me, you know. So absolutely. So, yeah. um, were you even though you weren't able to go to the parks, were you still? Did you still watch like? Um, oh, I saw every movie, and everything. You bet. And I back in those days, I saw um, you know the Mickey Mouse Club on TV. Um, all of that. Oh, yeah, I was deep into that. That's true. I mean, I was very Disney that way, but I had not been to the parks. What were some of your favorite uh, uh, movies and characters while growing up? Well, I loved Peter Pan, including the live action where Mary Martin, by the way, she is not a boy, played Peter Pan. Um, and you could see strings and wires holding her up and everything. I still adored it. Uh, but I mean, I saw all the, you know, the flubber TV shows. I was just a junkie for Disney's Wonderful World of Color. Oh, um, my my dad, for whatever reason, got one of the first color televisions on our block. And um, it was so cool to see Disney's Wonderful World of Color. It's kind of like in the early days of 4K um, color TVs, you could get one, but nothing was in color. <laughs> and it turned out that Disney was. <laughs> and so it was really special when you saw on Sunday nights, you saw Disney's Wonderful World of Color. And, and, you know, it was pretty primitive color. The screen was about this big, you know, but it was awesome. Just fabulous. Yeah. Have you been able to check out uh, Disney California Adventures' one, uh, Wonderful World of Color show, like the water show that they do? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I love all their shows. Their nighttime shows are, are mind-blowing. Uh, okay. Absolutely. I've been lucky enough to know some of the people who put together the Epcot night shows. And uh, so they let me onto that pier. When I go there, they bring me out onto that pier where you're out in the water with the whole thing. And it's just my, I'm not out on the floats for heaven's sakes, but there's a little sort of launch deck where they go off if there's an emergency and stuff. And they, they, they bring my family and me down there and it's just, it's mind boggling. It's uh. so fun. They've been so good to me. I mean, in order to write the Kingdom Keepers, um, because really it, I've got kind of two lives as a writer, one of which is a thriller mystery writer. Right. So I kind of kill people for a living. And, and I learned early in that realm to always know what I was talking about and to do a lot of research. Right. So when the idea for a, th a kid's thriller set in Disney parks was brought to me by Wendy Lefkon. Uh, I said, well, you know, I would love to write something like that, but I'm a big researcher and I would have to get into the parks after dark um, in order to sort of be scared and feel what the kids would feel. And she said, you know, I get that totally, but we just can't do that. And, and I said, yeah, I totally get that, but then right. I can't write the books. So she called back about a month later and said, okay, I've got you a VIP card, which I still carry. Um, and we'll let you into any of the parks around the world for free. And if you call ahead of time, um, we will 
get a Disney Imagineer to show you to different attractions. And so I've done that 30 times now. So you've, so you've been to all, all the parks then? I've been to uh, Disneyland multiple times after hours, Disney World many, like a dozen times after hours. I've been on all the cruise ships multiple times and behind the scenes on the cruise ships. Um, I've been to Disney Hong Kong. I've been to Disney Paris a couple times. I have not been to Shanghai or Japan yet. Oh, to- and so- they're in these they're in these new books, so I've got to get going. You got to go to Tokyo. Tokyo. Uh, that's what I hear. Oh, Tokyo is is. Awesome. I just hear it's pretty amazing. It's the best. I do yeah. love Paris. I, I have a special place in my heart for Paris as well. I love the Paris Park. Oh gosh, I love it. Yeah, so that's that's the place. I saw this Ratatouille piece that's going into Epcot for the first time. Yes. And I just went, my gosh, you know, this is is unreal. And then all of that was, it was completely upended. What did I just see? Gosh, I saw something that you've seen a hundred times. Now I'm, I'm spacing out what it was. But it was so, um, oh, it was one of the Star Wars things in, it must have been in Disneyland. Is Star Wars in Disneyland? It must yes. be. And, and I went into this, I went into this attraction and it was so immersive, it blew my mind. And yes. I just thought, if this is where they're going, with these things, the sky's the limit because you completely felt like you were a Jedi Knight walking through these different ships and into these giant rooms. And and then you get on this, uh, it was just mind boggling. Right. I mean, I couldn't believe the level of entertainment it had achieved. Yeah, so uh, I think that's a uh, rise of the resistance. Is That's the- what it is, oh my gosh. Yeah. So I went on that thing like five times. I was with a VIP guide and I said, let's start again, man. I got to get wrap my mind around this thing. It, you know, oh my gosh. It just totally surprised me and impressed me beyond anything. Yeah, and uh, you mentioned cruise ships. I'm a huge Disney cruise lover. Oh my gosh, that's the best cruise ships in the world. Uh, I, I agree. I'm going uh, for uh, uh, for a seven day cruise in December, so I'm, I'm super excited. So uh, jealous. Uh, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a good time. Now, you you mentioned two things: Peter Pan and Dave Barry, and somehow, within your crazy world, they actually cross paths. Yeah. Right? So yeah. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about um, Peter and the Star Catchers and how that came across, you know, that um, yeah. was, so, I mean, even, I, even thought about. I actually, um, because of my relationship with Dave in the band and being friends, and then our families were friends, and, and we've traveled a little bit, um, in, especially in years past together, because uh, they, they, Michelle and, and Dave had a young girl, basically Paige and Story's age. And they all got along famously. So we had a lot of fun doing that kind of thing. But what happened was I was reading uh, the novella of Peter Pan to our oldest daughter, Paige, when she was five. And she's now 25. So that was 20 years ago. Unbelievable. And um, she got sort of bored with my reading and put her hand across the page and said, how did Peter Pan meet Captain Hook in the first place? And I went, ah! 
Um, and I dumped her off in the chair with the book and I ran to my office and started making notes because I didn't have the answer. And I love it when I don't have the answer. So I sat there thinking, how did he, you know, why does he never grow old? How, how, how did he learn to fly? What, what let him fly? How did he meet Tinkerbell? Where'd she come from? All these questions. And I just started writing them all down. And literally days later, um, the band that Dave and I are in, we were playing in Miami. So Dave had me stay with him and we were talking over breakfast. And I mentioned this whole thing and his eyes, we never really talked business in this band, but his eyes kind of flared. And I said, Dave, you know, you write booger jokes for a living. And, and at that time I killed people for a living. Right. And I said, you know, maybe we could take your humor and my suspense. And even if it's just for our own kids, we could write some 80 page book about how a boy met Peter, you know, how, how Peter Pan became Peter Pan and how he met Captain Hook and all of that. And he said, I'm in. Uh, and we literally thought we were going to write about an 80 page book and go down to Kinko's and run off five copies. And Sophie would get one and our kids would get one and we'd keep one each. Right. And in one of these conversations with Wendy Lefkon, once Dave and I had ended up going to Disney World, which had nothing to do with Peter and the Star Catchers. It just had to do with Dave wanting to show me around Disney World. Right. Um, I was talking to Wendy at some point when we were still trying to figure out how I could ever make Kingdom Keepers work. And I said, you know, Dave Barry and I are writing this book about Peter Pan. And there was just this big pregnant pause. And she said, you're what? And I said, yeah, we're writing a book about, you know, how a boy became Peter Pan. And another big, long pregnant pause. And, and she said, have your agent call me. Well, like a week later, Disney bought this thing. We'd only written like three chapters and they bought it and said, we're going to make this a huge book. Keep writing. And Dave and I were working on this 80 page book and it turned into a 500 page book, which when it's printed is like 325 pages or something. Right. And, and, and we had no idea what we were doing. You know, we were, we did not want to say, Hey, we're going to be the next JM Barry. You know, we were kind of embarrassed about this whole thing is was like, wait, this is getting blown out of hand here. This was for our kids, you know, right. <laughs> but then, you know, as, as fate, God, the fates would have it. Um, we published it. Disney published it beautifully. And um, it was beautifully illustrated by a guy named Greg call and, and it went on the bestseller list for 47 weeks. So who knew? Uh, yeah. Incredible. Uh, you know, uh, congratulations on uh, on that. I mean, it was just a complete, how'd this happen? Right. <laughs> you know? And right. then they, of course, they loved that we had sold, you know, hundreds of thousands of hardcover copies. So uh, they ended up, we, we ended up writing together for 10 years. It was that's, amazing. I, I, and that's the, the best stories is the, uh, how does this happen, right? Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was... Certainly not planned. It was never a commercial idea. Maybe that's why it worked. You know, we were just, <coughs> we, it was two guys, you know, two old farts trying to write together for one thing. I mean, how do you even do that? Once this all sort of happened, we said, we'd only written like three chapters and we got, dude, can we actually do this? You know, and we thought, well, this is weird, but eventually we figured out how to do it, which is its own story. And, and it worked. So who knows? And it got uh, it, it got picked up uh, as as a play. It um, did. Disney turned it. In. That's another story because it was originally bought by 
Disney Animation, and then Disney Animation was instantly acquired by Pixar. And then John Lasseter said, I love it, but we're not going to even start it for seven or eight years. You know, Pixar's thing, they take six yep. years per, it, there's a formula they work through and it takes exactly six years to do um, one of their animated pictures. And, and he said, we're not going to even start this for six years, seven years. So it's going to be 13, 15 years till this ever comes out. And Dave and I said, you know, we could be dead by that. <laughs> let's, let's not do that. Um, and so everybody agreed, yeah, let's not do that. And then Tom Schumacher of, of uh, Disney Theatrical was working with a young guy named Rick Ellis, yep. who within about four years would write something called Jersey Boys. But at that time, Rick Ellis was just uh, an advertising consultant and a consultant to Disney. And lo and behold, Peter and the Starcatchers got chosen to become a Disney play with music. Who knew that was ever going to happen? It's still, it, uh, we had the 10th anniversary of its Broadway production just like six months ago. It still has something like 500 to 700 productions a year in this country. It's in the top 10 every year. It's crazy. Were you able to see it uh, like uh, on Broadway, I assume? Oh yeah. And, and Tom was really great about it because D Dave didn't really have interest in this, but I had um, grown up in Connecticut, just outside of New York. And my parents were big Broadway people. So I had seen musical after musical after musical. And when they said they were going to do this, you know, it was clear they didn't want any creative input from us, which was a very smart call on their part. Uh, but Rick Ellis is one of the sweetest human beings on earth. And he, so is Tom. And, and I asked the two of them, look, could I just be a fly on the wall? I promise I won't say a word. Um, but I would love to just sort of sit in the room while you guys figure all this out. And they said, yes. So for six years, I would jump on a plane and go to a meeting they were having or a little trial run they were having. Sometimes Dave joined very infrequently, but sometimes he did. Um, and I watched how a book becomes a play. It took six years. And I learned so much, Milo. Oh my gosh, it was like a master course. I'm sitting next to Rick Ellis, holy smokes. And Dave came up for one of the readings in New York City and Rick pulls out these foam cores with the whole thing outlined on it. And Dave nudges me and said, where was this guy when we were writing our book? Um, you know, because he had it figured out way better than we did. Um, but, you know, it was just, it was amazing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so with, you know, Disney Plus and the, uh, the need for content, let's say, uh, you know, Peter and the Star Catchers gets uh, picked up, let's say even for a, a live action. Um, now it's hard to cast, uh, I guess, Peter Pan because he would still be a child, but do you, do you have anybody in mind who you might like to see uh, in those roles, either as uh, Peter Pan as a, a child or Captain Hook? No, I've never even thought about it. I, I think about Kingdom Keepers a lot uh, yeah. because Kingdom Keepers has been close to being produced by Disney three, four times now. Um, and you never know. Maybe, um, the latest, the latest um, cave-in was about three weeks ago when they've been working on it for two years and we heard they probably aren't going to do it. So then usually we have to wait about 18 months and then it starts again and it gets building again and then it doesn't happen. So one of these times it may happen, but Absolutely. I never get 
as far ahead as thinking of cast because they probably would be 45 by the time this thing gets made. Yeah. Uh, gosh, I think that would be fair. I think that'd be a, a something great for Disney Plus. Um, so we, and so would Peter and the Star Characters. They are doing a live action of Peter Pan. Right. And I think they were timid to do two Peter Pan things at once. Right. I felt, and of course I'm completely biased, but I felt, but how cool would it be if you're doing a theatrical Peter Pan to have on Disney Plus how a boy became Peter Pan? I mean, how cool is that for a tie-in? But, you know, I never got to pitch that, but obviously they know about Peter and the Starcatchers and they they got so close to making it as a massive, uh-huh. I mean, a, and I do know the actors who were involved with that, um, a massive Disney movie. And it, it unfortunately got canceled at the last minute because of a different Peter Pan being released by a different company and they just couldn't make theirs in time. So you, know, you never know what's going to get one of these canceled. This was one of the great directors of all time out there. Um, I mean, it was an amazing thing. And that guy, that director had worked on it for 18 months and invented new machines in order to fly the kids. I mean, it was extraordinary. And it got canceled. I and mean, you never know about these things. Right. You know? <laughs> it's I, crazy. You, you talk about uh, Kingdom Keepers, and uh, I think that would be great. I mean, the sets are theoretically already created. They're already built. That's it. And they know that. You know, they know how this could be done pretty easily because it takes place at night and the parks are empty at night. So it isn't isn't an impossibility. It's just that I use a lot of their intellectual property. And that's their concern is, you know, can we really do a show that involves so many attractions and so many villains and, and I said, well, what about Once Upon a Time? You know, you did it there, but they're they're being very cautious, and and I respect that. I don't I don't know what they're up against and what their schedules are, and you know, who knows? Uh, and then there's a a new book coming out in February, right? Yes, next February. Uh, Kingdom Keepers uh, Inheritance, the Shimmer, correct? The Shimmer, that- yep. It's a trilogy that um, I have had, Milo. I've had so much freaking fun with this. You just can't believe it. But um, again, I just felt I was given a gift because after the return, Disney, which is the second series of Kingdom Keepers, where they go back to opening day in Disneyland, Disney books came and said, do you have any other ideas for Kingdom Keepers that you want to explore? And I really didn't want to stay with the same characters. I, I love them too much and I'd been with them a lot. And then it dawned on me, what about their kids? Because there are romances within, you know, I mean, they're young romances because these right. kids are, you know, in middle and, and, but, you know, there were, there were crushes, I guess I should say, right. more than romances uh, during this series. And I thought, what if I made these couples and these couples, then their kids are going to have some fairly qualities, which are these sort of paranormal qualities and, and the, the, the brains and bizarreness of being holograms in the parks. And, you know, what would that world look like? And because I work a lot with Disney archives for my books, um, both Becky Klein and Kevin. Becky is amazing. She is unbelievable. She's unbelievable. I just did a thing with her in, at D23, and she is, she is just remarkable. But And so is Kevin. They're both just unbelievable. But... For whatever reason, 
I thought if I was going to do a third and probably final season or a series rather, um, that that would by necessity have to be some kind of homage to Walt Disney, whom I admire so much. And, and through, you know, which browsing in the archives and talking to Kevin and talking to Becky, uh, again, I was reminded that Epcot was once going to be a city and that Walt never lived long enough to see it or even to develop it. And uh, I thought, well, then I'm going to give him his city. So in Inheritance, I've built out Epcot into a city. And and the story takes place probably around 2040, something like that. So we're a little bit in the future, 2030, I don't know when. And there are about 60,000 people living around Epcot. And the Kingdom Keepers have had kids. And the kids are going to school. And everything in the parks is about holograms. Uh, once the once the Kingdom Keepers technology was proven, they ended up making cast members holograms and the security guys holograms. So it's a very different park. The you know the nighttime Epcot show is this massive 3D hologram of Mars with these spaceships landing on it, just breathtaking and and all of that. And that the kids end up discovering that something probably Walt Disney knew, maybe other people did not, but that the various countries inside the upper set of the Epcot um, properties, which is the World Showcase, that those end up portals into other Disney parks around the world. And that's more than I've ever told anybody about this series, but that's what the series is about. And and it's just stellar fun for me. Uh, (laughs) That has me super excited because uh, anytime I get to go on the People Mover um, yeah, yeah. Kingdom and you go past the, um, I guess, the model of that was Epcot, Unbelievable. Um, of the city of, of, of tomorrow, um, yeah. I always get excited. I'm a huge Epcot fan. I know so many people that are uh, Epcot lovers. So um, I really, you know, through through all this work, my, my favorite, of course, was Magic Kingdom. It was the first place I'd gone. Um, and then I loved Animal Kingdom. And, and Epcot, I was a little like, I don't really get this park, you know. And then I don't know how many visits it was, but suddenly went, holy moly, is this a great park. It just completely changed for me. And it's almost like it's two parks in one. It's deep. It's rich. It's a very cool place to visit. I think right, I think right now it's definitely my favorite of the Florida parks. I can see why. I can see why. I, I definitely go there more than any others. Uh uh, I do have a couple of questions. Uh, I wanted to, you, you mentioned, uh, kids, um, and, uh, and I want to talk about you sometimes slip your own kids, uh, into, oh, yeah. uh, into, into books, into characters, right? Right. What you know, right. What, you know, yeah, <laughs> I guess that makes it easier, right? Yeah, it does. Yeah. And, uh, you know, both the girls are so different page is is a lot like Charlene and um, story ends up in the last couple kingdom keepers um, as she aged up she her personality is so fun she's very funny very bright um, and so you know it's 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 just easier right. to write about your own kids so really may back in the series of, of kingdom keepers is like a roommate of mine um, when I was in boarding school. 
and Philby and Finn are a little bit both like me. And uh, Willa is kind of like our daughter's story was early in her life, a little quiet and introverted, but very smart if you drill in there and find her. Right. You know, and as she matured, a lot of that is just there now. But in, to begin with, it wasn't quite there. So, I mean, yeah, I've, I, you know, when when you build a character in writing, it's a mistake to build it off a single person because none of us is that interesting. So my my characters always are a composite of three, four, five people, whether adults and kids jammed in or kids or adults, but they're never just a single person because we just, you know, what do you do? You get up, you do your work, you go to bed. I mean, how interesting is that? So if, if you take pieces of four or five people, that seems to work on the page a little better. It, it's a little larger than life. And when you write a normal person on the page, it's a little not very large. So yeah, I, I, I use composites and I always draw from friends I know or um, people I've interviewed, uh, my own kids, my own wife. Uh, and then I, I typically write with those names in the story. And then I ask permission. And if somebody's a little not so into that, I don't, I make up a different name. Oh, yeah. It's very interesting as a, a potential uh, uh, writer myself. Uh, yeah, yeah. Of a, of a way to go. Yeah. So it's just a technique and it works. So Story Ming, that's her middle name. Story Ming ends up in the Kingdom Keepers. And that was really because she doesn't read them. Paige has read everything I've written. Story, I'm not sure Story's ever read a single book I've written. But I thought, well, this is safe. I can put her in here because she'll never see how I deal with her. Absolutely. I don't think she ever has read, read them. So. Uh, a thing I want to do now uh, is called The Milo Beasley Show Frequently Asked Questions. I'm going to ask you the same five questions that I asked to all my guests. I like the graphic, Milo. Way to go. Uh, you know, a little. Serious graphic there. <laughs> All right, so there's no wrong answers, I guess. I mean, I, I wouldn't there know. There may be no answers, so go ahead. Give it your best sure. shot. All right, question number one. What was the first concert you ever attended? Oh, boy, you're going way back. It was probably the Young Rascals. The Young Rascals, that's fantastic. Before their record came out, they, they played in our town. My mom... The, the people in our town were driving across the, the border into New York, at the young kids, and they were buying alcohol. And then they were wrecking their cars coming back and dying. And, and my mom was um, horribly upset at all of this. So she organized <clears throat> using her kids, me included as her labor. And she uh, every week we put on a huge concert um, in our little town that drew about a thousand people. And the idea was to keep the kids from wanting to cross the border into New York. And it worked. All those deaths went down. So, I mean, you know, good old Betsy Pearson. But the one of the very first bands we had was a group called the Young Rascals. And they were going to have a record coming out soon. Um, and I think we got them for like 500 bucks. And then their record came out. You couldn't touch them, you know. Um, so that was, I was probably 13 at that time. Um, of course, I'd been listening to my brother's records my whole life. So, I mean, um, way, way back to the Kingston Trio and the early Donovan, early Dylan. Uh, my dad played all these records, which I didn't actually care for, of Dixieland Jazz. He loved Dixieland Jazz. It, 
it still isn't my favorite, but my first live concert, I think was probably, it was probably something like that. Cause, and then I went to Woodstock. I was at Woodstock. Oh, you went to Woodstock. I've seen a million bands. Yeah. That's, that's, that's I was at Woodstock. Uh, did you know? Um, that was probably two years after the Young Rascals. When I was uh, did you know there. that uh, John Ratzenberger was actually a stage hand? In- Who is John Ratzenberger? Help, uh, John Ratzenberger, uh, uh, very famous. Uh, he was uh, uh, Cliff in Cheers. Oh, wow. Okay. Yes. And does a lot of uh, Disney uh, voices, Pixar voices. As oh, well. wow. Okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah, he was, he helped build the stage. Uh, so, small world. Small world. Uh, yeah, it is a small world. Uh, question number two. Do you believe in ghosts? I did not um, my whole life. I mean, I love thinking about them and writing about them. Right. And then my wife and I, uh, <clears throat> we visit a restaurant, Hot Springs, north of, um, out of, out of, in Wyoming somewhere, north of, uh, north of the park and um, north of Yellowstone and, we were out there, you know, in our bathing suits in this hot tub. And it was it was the middle of winter it was January. And um, so where we live, like right now, it's probably 15 degrees out. So it, when you're in a hot tub, it everything's foggy. And, and there were about six of these hot tubs. Some of them had been concreted in years before, like in the 20s or 30s. It's a really cool place. And it, it was a five star restaurant. That's why we went there. Because in the middle of nowhere, there's a five-star restaurant, and we're going to spend a night or two. And so we're in this hot tub, and um, which is just sort of a concrete box, and it's sulfury water. You know, it doesn't smell great because that's what natural hot springs are. And there's a guy taking laps in the pool next to us. You know, and you can hear him flutter, kick, and swim, and do all that. And um, and we both said, you know, we should talk quietly because this guy's swimming laps. And we got out at some point, and the the fog swirled the pool was empty and this place is known to be haunted to which we said oh sure when we got there it was just like because the whole thing is about all these hauntings and you go give me a break you know i mean i'm too much of a realist for that but i mean all the artwork everything they do it's all about oh the haunting well there was no freaking water in the in the pool and we heard this guy it was very clear water in the pool either no water in the pool. So nobody was swimming laps anywhere, Milo. But so that's my only experience, but it was quite convincing. It was pretty weird. So, you know, do I believe in ghosts? No. But did I have one of those experiences? Absolutely. Oh, that's crazy. crazy. It was crazy. And my wife, who is even more realism than I am, was just like, I still don't want to believe that. But I heard the freaking guy swimming laps, you know. Oh, man. All right. Well, I know what I'm dreaming about tonight. Uh, all right. Question number three is a little twist on a common question. So okay. it would be about your life. Who would play your parents? Dick Van Dyke would have played my dad. Um, because he looks like him. And, you know, my mom would have been played by... Who, who played opposite uh, Jimmy Stewart in It's a Wonderful Life? Um, anyway, my, that's probably somebody like my mom would have played. 
Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah. Um, it wasn't, uh, was it? No, it wasn't Donna Reed, was it? It might have been Donna Reed. That's what I was going to say. I think it is Donna Reed in a very sort of un-Donna Reed way. Yeah. Yeah. My, my mother was an artist and um, she was nonstop always doing something for someone. She was kind of the town counselor. Um, she had a syndicated column for in 50 newspapers for 20 years while we were growing up. Um, she was involved in the church in the town. You know, she was just one of these. She was a, a miracle, really. Both of them were miracles. My dad ended up running Alcoholics Anonymous for 15 years. Oh, well, bless him. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he tried to kill himself with alcohol over a, about a 25 year period. And when I was growing up. And then uh, figured it out through AA and eventually was elevated in the ranks and ended up the third person in Bill Wilson's chair. And and he sort of is one of the people responsible for um, spreading it internationally. That's um, and it just changed him. I mean, he was such a beautiful man always. Right. He wasn't, you know, a mean drunk or a violent drunk or any of that. He was just he just was poisoned right. and um, he figured it out and straightened his life out. And was just such a terrific father. I mean, just a great, great man. But he was very much like Dick Van Dyke. That's that's uh, that that's super great to hear. That's super great to hear. Bless him, absolutely. Uh, question number four: um, Who is your favorite person to follow on social media? <laughs> that's a really funny question. Um, I don't do much social media. I'm on there, um, and I do contribute. And sometimes I hire people to help me be on there. Um, but I mean, I love following Dave. Uh, I, I've, you know, I'll do anything, anything Dave does. I love because he's just so freaking funny. Absolutely. Um, I follow uh, Mike Connolly, Michael Connolly, um, and and lots of mystery writers. Uh, but you know, really, honestly, I only check in on that about every two weeks for <laughs> twenty minutes. I'm just, yeah, it didn't. It my watching other people's lives. It's just kind of spooky for me. I don't love it. So right. Yeah. Uh, now this next question, uh, um, this is my always my favorite of, of the questions. Uh, now whether it's uh, been your time working for Disney, uh, not working for Disney, uh, just as a writer or just uh, living life, have you had that fanboy moment where you met somebody, you met a celebrity, and either you couldn't speak or you spoke too much and you put your foot in your mouth and you you know not embarrassed yourself, but you know. Gosh, I, I, I don't know. I've met so many what people would call celebrities, you right. know. Um, I mean, I, I certainly, I, I, I spent an afternoon in the company of Dave Barry and Steve Martin, and I could barely get out a word. Um, yeah, I mean, I've met Tom Hanks. I've met, you know, lots and lots of celebrities. And musicians, celebrities, my, my friend Otis Reed and I, we played music together for 11 years and we were playing. We were just a plane. We were going to a show we were doing or something and a plane was canceled and we sat down. We took out our guitars in an airport and um, we played. We were strumming along in this airport and this guy came over and he stopped in front of us and and he was telling us, hey, you guys are pretty good. You know, I, I kind of like your tunes. And all of a sudden we realized we were talking to Bo Diddley. And we both kind of went, oh, my gosh, that's freaking Bo Diddley talking to us. So, I mean, there have been moments like that in my life where it's just like, what? How did this happen? You know, so, 
you know, I, I can't think of a particular fanboy moment, but, um, but, you know, I'm in awe of all creatives. Right. Um, really am musicians, dancers, artists, you name it. I, I and, and I, I, I can barely speak in front of any of them because I'm just so blown away by what they do. My dad talked to Tom Hanks for probably 20 minutes. I got out. Hello. <laughs> that was about my thing. So. Uh, well, that's going to be uh, just about our, our time. Uh, thank you so much for, for chatting with me uh, this evening. Um, I guess so uh, you, you said you're, you're not that active on social media, but if folks want to find you. Oh, we keep it active. Yeah. And, and I consult on everything we do. It's just I don't spend a lot of time swiping up and down or left or right or whatever it is. Yeah. So uh, they can find you. And, uh, and there's, there's a young woman named um, Alex LeBron who's helping me with, with uh, TikTok, and she is unbelievable. She's, she's discovered all these people on TikTok that love the Kingdom Keepers that I never knew existed. So I don't even have a TikTok yet, right. but uh, Alex is amazing. And, uh, you know, I, I hope to keep working with her. She's done amazing stuff. I have one. I've posted like twice. I don't, I'm not, I'm not good at it. I'm not good at it at all. I'm not good at it at all. Well, I'm like you. If you want to talk about right now, uh, you can uh, go out, purchase anywhere where books are sold. Uh, Disney's cautionary tales. Um, uh, absolutely. I 100% recommend picking it up in just in a couple months. Let's see, December, June, three months. Time, yeah. um, uh, Kingdom keepers, uh, the shimmer, uh, uh, we'll, we'll hit stores. Um, so, uh, definitely pick that up. And of course, uh, Ridley, you will, uh, be making appearances at Disneyland here in November. And as you said, February, yes. um, I'll be doing a big tour over, in February. Hopefully you get over to, uh, Walt Disney world. Oh yeah. That's on the schedule already. Uh, you know, uh, would, would definitely, um, uh, you know, love to, to have you over here. So, uh, again, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, thank you. Been my pleasure. Uh, and uh, again, everybody else, thank you for watching um, wherever you are at home, uh, on your phone, wherever you are. Um, and uh, we will see you next. Hold on, let me get my outro ready. Uh, next week. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs>